All right, well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Practical Lessons for Elementary STEM Integration. I am Wes Fryer, joined by the I'm, real STEM teacher. <laughs> I'm Amy Leffelholtz. And uh, actually, we did this with Tammy, so let's introduce each other. I'm going to introduce Amy, and then she'll introduce me. I am celebrating my one-year anniversary of coming back to the classroom thanks to Amy at this conference last year because I had worked in Yukon as an instructional coach on a grant for a year and a half and it was at this conference this very day where she said hey Chris has had to not come back and there's a STEM position and so um, Amy and I have worked together for a couple of years she is filled with so many wonderful ideas and strategies and she is the absolute master of parent and student donation for the STEM uh, yeah. program. And uh, we did a STEM camp we'll talk about um, this past summer together, and she's a wonderful collaborator. It is priceless to have a collaborator that you can learn with, and we don't get to do it that often. So that's my introduction of Amy. All right, okay. Well, um, we have uh, had a STEM program for this is our fourth year in UConn for fourth and fifth grade. And so Wes came in in the beginning and kind of helped me come into the technology side of it. I have a math and science background, so it wasn't hard for me there, but technology has always been a little bit more overwhelming. And so Wes came in and was a great technology coach for me. And he has helped me move on to Twitter and do things that I was not sure I would ever feel comfortable with. So he is great at the technology side and having great innovative ideas. And he is not afraid to, as we referred to it earlier, be building the plane while we're flying it. And so we're both this year um, doing project-based learning and immersing ourselves in it with the kids. And so um, he also is a great collaborator to have on staff. So. All right. So um, if you'd like the resources for today, you can go to tinyurl.com slash STEM ideas, and that will take you to this presentation, which is a Google presentation. If you want to be very techy, you can scan this QR code. We'll put this up again at the end of the presentation if you uh, miss scanning it. And you can also Google the word STEM seeds. Amy and I last spring started a website in a almost monthly show a Google Hangout where we either talk ourselves or interview another STEM teacher and talk about lesson ideas because that's one of the things that I am definitely most hungry for are practical ideas what's something that, that we can do and so both of us teach fourth and fifth grade I'm at Independence Elementary in Yukon and Amy is at Lakeview Elementary and we both have you have a little over 600 this year we have right at 600 so 620, I believe. she sees all her kids every nine uh, every other nine weeks mm -hmm. I see my kids for a semester uh, every other day and then and switch with the art class. So what we what I've learned is I better like my lessons because I'm going to do them a lot. Um, and so we are not doing one particular curriculum. Um, we are able to uh, put our curriculum together and that's why collaboration is so important. So we're going to talk today basically what is STEM. We're going to tell you briefly about STEM Seeds, which is our PD camp we're going to do again. Just turned in a $50,000 Cox grant last week. If we get it, you know, Folks can come free. If not, we'll figure out how we'll, we'll fund things, but we're going to do hopefully a student and teacher camp. But the main idea is to share lesson ideas. So how do you define STEM, Amy? Um, for me, STEM 
hands-on collaboration, really hoping to find a way to get the light bulb to turn on. Uh, this video is a short presentation. We received a grant last year for alternative energy sources and specifically wind energy, and I had to make a grant video. There is one of my students in here just decided to tell us how the uh, wind generator worked. I just want you to see it. It's really good. And they need to watch for the expression of the student yes. to the bottom right. Is that correct? Yes. I forgot to tell you, there's a little boy with blonde hair sitting right by the table. Stem is his face. So just watch and you'll, you'll get it. extremely difficult to put together and don't hold up well. Don't spend your money on them. Um, and then the, the cool thing, the big wind turbine that we bought, that actually is very neat and it's something to show the kids, although mine, the LED light never worked on it. That's okay. It still is very functionally great. And then we also bought three powerhouses which are able to do experiments and show how greenhouse works and show how a wind turbine can actually power the house and use different things like that. So uh, we had to do a video to show how we use those in the classroom. And so this is uh, a small group of kids that I had so that I could purposefully shoot that. Um, and please forgive the way my room looks. We've One of the designs we're going to talk about in a few minutes is why my room is completely trashed out. But that's the real, that's how it looks really. Learning can be messy. When we're learning, because learning is messy. And so that's how it looks on a normal day anyway. That's right. So I think, um, you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math is all about making stuff. And it's all about having a context for why we're doing this. And so this was a water bottle rocket project. Maybe I think I have a video if we have time to show. Uh, we did this with our Makers Club because one of the things 
We started last year was an after-school club. Um, we had so much interest in Minecraft and Minecraft EDU, as well as just interest in STEM and STEM projects that um, that provided an opportunity for students to be able to do more and to have some creative freedom after school to be able to do that. So. Um, which one of these do you want to talk about? If we, were, I, we brainstorm a list of essentials, yes. so what are your essentials? Uh, collaboration Here. is essential for me, and actually, sorry, I think I was using my big teacher voice. Um, collaboration is something, there. really, we don't do anything in STEM that we're not working in groups. With seeing all 620 students at my school, I can't afford, budget-wise, with my $1.50 per student, to let us work individually. So almost everything we do is in a collaboration setting. So having the power to let your ideas be rejected is really hard. You know, having kids understand that, especially in fourth and fifth grade, when they, well, their parents have told them how wonderful they are and everything is so amazing. And then their friends, you know, when they work together, they all have that strong idea, and finding out how to compromise is huge where there's tears, had a lot of tears so far this year, boys and girls, doesn't matter. It's just not always an easy thing when your idea is not the one that your group chooses. Now there's great power in the fact when it does or when there's a compromise and then you're able to build something even more amazing than what one of you thought on your own. So collaboration is huge for us. So um, how many of you does, are STEM teachers full-time? Is anybody else doing STEM full-time? It's pretty unique to, to have a STEM program. It's like art, music, PE, all the kids come to. Um, how many are elementary teachers in the room? Do we have any librarians in the room? Do we have any administrators in the room? Do we have any middle school or secondary people in the room? All right. So um, I think STEM is one of these things that... Um, encourages us to integrate naturally and to be doing a lot in one lesson. So the engineering design process of where we're actually building something but we're doing it iteratively. These were a couple of my fifth graders two weeks ago doing a catapult unit that I learned from Amy this summer. And, you know, one of the most beautiful things is when it doesn't work. And then we start again and we change it. And we, 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 this whole idea of learning through failure, we don't tend to do that really well in school. But yet that's how so much actual learning takes place. And so the engineering design process and building and making and prototyping, but then testing and seeing how it works uh, gives, gives a great opportunity for that. And it's very real world. And so I think, yeah, talk about measurement because that is so key. So key. And something else that um, coming from, before I taught STEM full-time, I taught fourth grade and then I taught fifth grade. So being a fourth and fifth grade teacher, I found that to be very hard to find a time where we could use measurement in a real way. We have to learn that three feet equals a yard, but we don't really get to use that information. And so what I did whenever, since we have the luxury of actually getting to plan what we want to teach, my goal was to make measurement something that's very important in my class. And so there is very seldom something that we do that we don't have to measure it or use the measurement in a real way, just like we would use it in our real lives, so that they understand that measurement is not just something that they have to do conversions on on paper, but it is a way of life and it's something that we actually have to use and know in our everyday lives. So that's something else I think that is really important with our STEM integration. 
So uh, this website, STEM Seeds, stemseeds.org, you can go to and uh, not only access these resources, but we have uh, six past shows, which we do as Google Hangouts, and those are recorded on YouTube to be able to look at later. So, for instance, uh, Chris Simon uh, is now with the Girl Scouts of Western Oklahoma. Probably my favorite was with Garrett, with. Uh, Henry Ingwersen mm -hmm. in Wells, Maine, who's a STEM teacher, and he has a classroom that is so beautiful. They do a lot of citizen science where the kids are going out to the woods and they're taking pictures and they're documenting things in their environment. I thought, oh, wish we could do something. We need to do some of that. So you can access those, and um, if you follow us on Twitter at STEM Seeds, um, we will be doing more of these. We don't have a definite every second to, you know, Saturday or whatever, but we've basically done those on some Saturday mornings. And we'll, we'll, we will be doing some more. I think our first one was on a snow day, if I remember right. It was. So, yeah, so it's good to follow on Twitter. Um, this is a, a unabashed advertisement, but we're going to do another camp. This last summer we did a two-day camp in Yukon um, for STEM seeds, and this summer it will be the second week of June, so that will be June 8th through the 12th, and our tentative plan is to include students as well as teachers together learning, and we will do projects, we'll do Minecraft, we'll do Scratch, you know, there is no time like the summer to play and be students and learn how to do these kind of things. And it was very fun. A lot of the things I'm yeah. doing this year is a result of, of what Amy taught me. I said, if no one else comes and we just hang out together and learn, that will be good. And um, I, I, I think we need more opportunities like this to be able to build, to create, to make, not just to hear about, but to really do. And with the coding stuff, we'll talk a little bit more about it's so important to have kids present. The dynamic, the vibe is totally different when there are students there learning to code or learning to do Minecraft than when it's all adults. So I'm excited that hopefully we'll, we'll pull this off and lives will be changed <laughs> because I've seen it happen. I mean, yeah. in fact. Well, and as, as a person who took a class with kids, I took Scratch programming with kids and I, I am not nearly as fearless as they are. And so they were finding out all of this cool stuff to do that I was just trying to keep up. And so there was, the time I took it, there was a third grader and a sixth grader that were brothers. And they just wowed me. And they would come over then and show me and teach me how to do it. And so I learned a lot more than, because I, I didn't want to experiment myself. I was like, okay, I'm here for another kind of thing. But having the kids there, I think it just it brings a level of fearlessness the adults are willing to try more because the kids are definitely going to try more. And so I did try out, we're, um, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but we're going to do prosthetic hands with my fifth graders um, this year. And so I had the adults build it because I hadn't done it before and I was a little bit nervous about how that's going to go. And as Wes was saying, whenever we do something, we have to commit. I'm doing it with probably at least 12 classes, if not 24 classes, for more than one class period. And so we've got to know that we know that it's something we're going to enjoy. I really was impressed at the adults' be willingness to just kind of jump out there and really go for it. So I feel good about letting my fifth graders do it now because I thought, well, if the adults can do it, then I, I know my fifth graders can do it because they're just so much more willing to jump out there. So that is something to kind of speak to that. And it's here's another quick story. 
um, when kids get on fire for coding or, or reading or whatever, adults have to pay attention. And uh, yeah. Scott Hine, who's the principal at Amy's school, um, his daughter came home doing some scratch. And he, he saw in what she was doing in first grade, I think, the negative numbers and the more advanced math. She was moving a sprite around, you know, making an animation. But that excitement is so contagious and in this day and age, with all the stress and all the testing, it's like a breath of fresh air for kids to get set on fire with excitement for coding, for math, because it's all in context. So we may not be changing the legislature with this, but we can change um, you know, the lives of kids by opening the door to doing some really fun stuff. So please plan to join us. All the resources from last summer are available online. All the handouts, we didn't record a lot, but um, all the stuff is there. So let's talk about lesson ideas. Um, I don't even think I have this one on, but cantilever spans, I did this picture. One of the folks we interviewed for STEM Seeds is Brian Crosby, and he was a fourth and fifth grade teacher in Reno, Nevada. He is now a regional STEM coordinator for the state of Nevada, shares a lot on Twitter and on his blog. He mentioned this cantilever span project. What do you need? You need paint sticks, which Lowe's will donate, and I found that they would donate up to $75 of stuff. So I got a bunch of half-inch washers donated. You need measuring tape or measuring sticks, and you need tables, and that's about it. And the goal is build the, the longest cantilever, which is extending out from the edge of the table, as you can. Ready, go. And that is a great project. And so kids were measuring. Of course, things were crashing down on the floor. And, you know, there's a lot of iterative try again. Uh, but how does this work? How does a cantilever and its balance and measurement and uh, its architectural design? So that's, that's one, one quick activity. Collaboration activities. Okay. Okay, as I said, collaboration is very important to me. And because this is my fourth year teaching STEM and having all 22 or 23 classes at a time, um, I see the kids for 50 minutes every other day right now. And I see them for half of the year then. And so because we're on the rotation with PE, art, and music, this is something, and let's see if it will pop up or not. I actually put on here uh, the first day of class, I spend time actually making groups that we will then use the entire year and we'll see, oh good. So what will happen is like I have the kids at first, they go to their tables. I have eight different tables and I let them know this is your blue group. Please write down your table number. They choose their friends. That's fine, they choose their friends. So then I tell them, you're going to have to choose brand new people and please go sit at a new table. So then they go and they form their red group. So these are uh, two other people that they still kind of like, so we're okay. And then we do the same thing again. Now stand up and please go choose brand new people. And they make their green groups. So this sheet is in their little curriculum packet that I've given them. And then we do that again for whichever color, yellow. And then we make partners. Now, the reason this is a little bit revolutionary for me, for the way I've taught, is because I spend one hour the first day of class, or 30 minutes the first day of class, and then the rest of the year, they come in, oh, well, today we're starting prosthetics. We're going to be using our blue groups today. Or if it's something that I know that I need them to focus and not goof off quite as much, we use blue groups very seldom because that's their best friends. So they don't realize that that's what my plan is, but that's okay because then we have this, and it's in place, and I don't have to spend any more time making groups the rest of the year. 
I lost my sheet. Oh, really? Hey, whose group is Bob in for purple? And then they, oh, he's in our group. Okay, bye, Bob. Go be with your group. It's done. And it saves so much time. I went through handing out cards and doing this and doing that, trying to do grouping all the time. Then the kids would trade cards. And then we did, just don't. You're welcome to borrow this sheet, use it whatever you want. Usually, without being at Google formatted, it is a site, like a two-column sheet, so it's just all on one. Google does its own formatting, and so there's that. But um, that changed huge amount of time saving, and so that's something even in your regular classroom if you want to use. Please do, because then you have, I got it, there was a workshop I went to where the kids made appointments. So we had... Uh, and so they took it from the appointment sheet idea and then just made it for groups instead because I had an appointment book when I was in the regular classroom. So anytime we needed to do partners, I would say, oh, I needed you to work with your 10 o'clock appointment today. And then they would immediately know who they're going to be working with. And so that was something that was very easy to use. And I thought, I've got to figure out a way to do that with my grouping so I don't have to keep managing that over and over again. Something else at the beginning, there we go, thanks. <laughs> at the beginning, um, we have to do something to get us used to working with our groups, used to figuring out how to collaborate in an effective way. This is an activity, actually, that Wes and I did at our teacher workshop this summer, and I kind of modified it to work, work with my kids. The top one is actually what I built out of Lincoln Logs. And then I gave the groups, each of them had four jobs available. There was an engineer, and that person actually, sorry, it's okay, you're good. That person actually got to go behind the wall and see the Lincoln Logs, the project. But they can come back to the group and they can't touch anything. Then we have the builder, who the builder can build, but they can't talk. And then we have a lefty and a righty. Of course, the lefty only gets to work with the left hand, and the righty only gets to work with the right hand. Now, as I explained to them, it's going to force them to collaborate because not one person can do everything. They have to work together. So we, we work for about five minutes or so, and then we switch jobs. And so then the next person gets to go back and become the engineer and see what's going on behind the wall. And then they come back, and if you notice on the bottom, it's a small picture, but I gave them connects to build with. And so I literally have kids going, we, can't, we don't have Lincoln Logs. What are you talking about? I have no idea. We don't have Lincoln Logs. How are we supposed to build this? Ha-ha. So then we have STEM. Please think outside of the box and go figure that out. Or I tell them, what shapes do you... I'm sorry, because my sweet little fourth graders, and this is the beginning of the year, what shapes do you see? Do you, what is this? What do you see right there? Well, it looks like a house. Then go build a house out of connects. It's okay. Go tell your group that's what you're building. And so... After the end of the activity, we try to stop fast enough that in our short little 50 minutes that we actually can have a discussion. So then I ask the questions. What would have happened if the engineer could build? Then people say, oh my gosh, it would be so much easier. And I said, really? Do you think the rest of you would have gotten to build? No. So then they see where we're going with that and try to get the collaboration in their minds to understand why it's so important in STEM that we have to be all parts of a bigger project they don't always get that. But this was a great activity and actually something I will be using from now on because I do think it speaks so much to when that left-handed person that is normally right-handed only gets to use their left hand and they have a hard time. But then I talk to them and say, do you guys have four people? Yeah, okay. Do you have a righty? Yeah, why don't the two of you work together and see if you can be one person? Oh, man, then that's even more. Well, I don't like that right-handed person, so I don't know that I'm going to want to work with them. Then we go back to, again, well, this is who you're working with. And I use these words so often, 
In real life, we don't get to choose who we work with. So in STEM, you're going to work with everybody, and it's going to be just fine. We're practicing for real life. It will be really great. And they don't like that either. But it's okay because it's what we do, and we get through it. And then, you know, there's very few kids that dislike coming to our classes because even though we are having to work in groups, the freedom and the creativity that comes with being able to do the things that we're doing is still something that just speaks to kids in a real way. So. Absolutely. And I'll just briefly add to that that this uh, collaboration grouping sheet transform, has transformed my class. I was very silly last year. I started in November and basically let the kids choose where they sat all the time. And at the end of the year, when we did a Minecraft scavenger hunt where a student had worked with me on Wednesdays after school for like two months to teach me about command blocks and how to teleport and how to do these fancy things. I had the kids draw out of a hat for their group, and we had tears. Can you believe it? Fourth and fifth graders with tears. I can't work with boys. I can't work with girls. Yes, you can. So now we just set this up as part of our culture, that we do work together in groups, and we're going to be in red. And the kids know it's not forever. All right? We're in red groups this week, but now we're, you know, we're going to switch. So, um, and I will add one more comment to that. If you see that it's like, okay, this is an all-girl group again, another all-girl group, then I make yellow has to be two boys and two girls. Because if they won't mix, then I force the issue and I make them mix. Because they need to learn how to work both ways. And so it doesn't need to be, well, the girls are going to always listen to my thing. The boys are always going to listen to my idea, because that's not always true either. But they need to learn how to work with boys and girls. So I force the issue and make them mix. Force desegregation in the that's STEM right. class. Um, also, I would say that this project came from my wife, Shelly Fryer, being at an Oklahoma A-plus schools conference where they did that kind of activity as an initial sort of icebreaker. This is the way creativity works in so many cases. We hear an idea, we modify it, we change it. So anyway, that's just, it was fun to Question. do that. What's that? Question? Yes. yes. I just wondered if all of Yes, yes. There's a post on STEM Seeds that has this very presentation we're sharing, so you can get all these resources, all these links. And that's part of why I went ahead and put what the, um, the jobs were, and actually you can see on there, I just laminated index cards and wrote the name on there, so they knew, they didn't know what the job meant until I told them, so. All right, leaning to our pasta. Okay, so practical STEM ideas. Spaghetti, marshmallows. I gave the kids 30 marshmallows. 20 strands of spaghetti, you need to build the tallest tower that you can, and it must hold weight. That was the requirement. I give them somewhere around 10 to 15 minutes, too long, it gets all messed up and it all collapses anyway because they've overworked the marshmallows, and they've broken all the spaghetti and nothing's tall anymore. But you have to kind of set a time constraint because otherwise they'll take way too long to do it, and that's okay. And so this, um, of course, the measurement aspect, before you test for weight, please measure the height. I'm not going to believe that you had a nine-inch tower when it's this tall when you've put the weight on it. So anyway, and that's what they have to do that. And then we just use paper plates, tested it out. I have something called the STEM Wall of Fame where if it's the uh, activity that is the best out of the, the rotation that we have, I will take their picture next to their leading tower of pasta, put the record on there. It was nine inches tall and it held 245 grams. And I put their picture out on the wall in my hallway. I also bought really cute stickers from Vistaprint. If you don't know about vistaprint.com, you should. They love giving away free stuff and discounts and constantly. And so I have little stickers that say STEM Wall of Fame on it that they get to put on their binders, which is like gold. 
that's super exciting because there's very few people that get to make the STEM Wall of Fame, so it is a really great thing. This, super easy, this could be great even in your regular classrooms, could be something quickly that you could do without a whole lot of effort. Good. There's another version of that that you may have heard of before called the Marshmallow Challenge, and uh, I've got this link, and it's a TED Talk, and it's, here's the most beautiful thing about the Marshmallow Challenge. You know who does the best on this? The Marshmallow Challenge, you have, uh, like um, Amy said, you have uh, 20 spaghetti noodles, you get, you get a yard of string, you have one marshmallow to put on the top, and you have a yard of masking tape, and you try to get the marshmallow as high as you can. Who does the best? The kindergartners. And there are graphs of this. Why? Because kindergartners start with the marshmallow on top, and it's about iteration and iterative design, and how we need to start with the end in mind. Literally, most adults leave the marshmallow on the table until the last 30 seconds. And then when they put it on the top, what happens? It all comes crashing down. So uh, if you haven't seen that TED Talk, that's excellent. And again, just a great idea that is easy to do that doesn't cost much money. Bridges. Okay. Um, this year I'm not, but the past three years I've done a big unit on bridges. We do a lot of stuff to make it uh, where it's as real as possible. One of the pictures in the top left is actually my students being a human suspension bridge. And so then uh, the first year we were there, I wrote a grant and actually got Connects Bridge Building Kits. They're about $35 for a kit, not terribly expensive, but you can do a lot of stuff with them. And so we've, we build all of our bridges by model first on the Connects Bridge Building Kits. If you don't know how to use Connects, welcome to my world. My kids taught me. I've learned a lot from them. And so I had never built with them. I didn't know how the spokes and everything went together. And then on the bottom is actually a model of a suspension bridge that we made that I found an idea online where they use cardboard as the deck. And then we talk about the parts of the suspension bridge. The stringers is what goes um, underneath to hold the bridge deck up. And then having the long uh, cables that attach to the abutments. And every time I say abutment, I promise you there are giggles every single time. Um, so that gets along when you take the same unit a long time. Um, anyway, so they love it, though, and they love the most fun, and I didn't include a video, is when I let them, the traffic inspector comes by to inspect the bridge for safety, and I give them Hot Wheels to test out their bridge. And that's the best part ever, because then they get to race their Hot Wheel cars on their new bridges in STEM, and it's the most fun. And I have videos of kids just blossoming, just watching them race their cars across there because I said it was safe for traffic. So that's another one of the things I love bridges, but I've loved them for three years. And so we're moving on to something else this year, which is playground design. Hmm. Playground design has been, it, the idea was actually given to me by a student last year. Uh, why don't we build playgrounds? Okay. So I said, well, let's do it. What's turned into kind of an idea has turned into we're designing a playground that we're going to raise money for and put on our playground. So we've turned into true project-based learning. I had never done this before. It's taken us like 14, 15 class periods to get this done, times 12 classes. I'm exhausted of playground design. However, we get to do it again next nine weeks, so I'm really excited. Um, what I can say is <laughs> these kids, the end product has made it worth the time and effort because they have wowed me. And so this is just a kind of a landscape view of all the projects. We ended up with 93 projects this nine weeks because I have the kids in eight groups in my class. So they're in groups of three or four usually. Some of the skills we covered, just some. 
measurement, of course. Um, they, we had to talk about the dimensions of the playground equipment and figure out how big. If you're telling me five kids are going to play on this equipment, it can't be six by six. That's not big enough. You know, and kind of talk about real-world applications. We measured our playground. We went out with trundle wheels and with tape measurements and measured how big our real playground is so they get a feel for how big the equipment is we already have. We also talked about area and perimeter a lot. Um, we actually build the model to scale. On these boards, these two foot by three foot boards, are individual little squares, and each foot is one square. Square foot is one square. So they had to think about, okay, if I said it was 10 foot by 10 foot, how big should I actually be building this? Some of them that are made out of red solo cups, probably not as to scale as some of the other ones, and that's okay. Some kids got the scale, some did not. And then budgeting, they had $35,000 to spend. They figured out the cost by taking the area of the piece of equipment times $15 per square foot. And then they had to do descriptive writing. They had to tell me what the name of their piece of equipment was, what makes it fun, why would kids want to play on this, and um, why kids would think it's fun. You know, what do they do and why do they think it's fun. I got the idea, or the framework for this idea at least, from a Teachers Pay Teachers unit. So I did not put it on here because it wasn't mine to give. I will tell you that's where I started. We ended up in a different place, but it was a good place to start. And here is another, and I don't know how to zoom that in, but um, here are some more examples of, some more examples of our playgrounds. I would say we have 93 of them. And so what's happened is we have chosen one from each class and then we'll kind of narrow it down from there. And then hopefully we're gonna end up with one or two really great designs that I can show the playground person that has already visited with me because she got when this is going on and so um, that I can show her and we can find something that will represent what our kids have done to uh, raise money for to put playground equipment on our playground. So it's been quite an adventure and um, I don't know that I will do it again ever after this year, but it's been amazing and the kids have enjoyed it and it's something that I actually got an idea from this as well from coming to a project-based learning activity thing here a couple of years ago. So there's real math and science that goes along with what you're doing in your classroom for that. And prosthetics and then I'll stop talking. So prosthetics, um, we were very fortunate the first year to have a, a student who her dad was the head of the lab at Scott Savalich Prosthetics and so I didn't know anything about prosthetics at all, but we um, started making them. And so I did, for two years, I did legs with my fifth graders. And so there's some, uh, you can see there, there's a plunger. The, the challenge was with that, they had to actually uh, make a prosthetic device that could be used for below the knee. And then the kids, um, I heard something earlier where they were talking about kids that maybe weren't as good at this could do something else. And so we had builders and we had kids who actually made a commercial. They had to make a PowerPoint presentation and try to market their prosthetic as the best one. And then later we did show me's instead. And then this is actually some pictures of the teachers from this summer making the prosthetic hands, which this year I'm gonna do fourth grade prosthetic legs and fifth grade prosthetic hands. So I won't be doing the exact same thing during that unit at least, I'm excited about it. So anyway, kind of give you some idea, but either way they are gonna to have to make some kind of commercial and kind of think through that and market it just to pull the technology aspect in with that as well, so. We don't have the video in here, but there have been some great examples of 3D printed prosthetic hands. Has anybody seen some of those videos where families were spending thousands of dollars for a prosthetic that now can be 3D printed in plastic for, you know, like 50 cents? I mean, the 3D printer is not that expensive. 
It's not that cheap. It's expensive. But um, that's another element that we're going to be adding and, and writing grants for because 3D printing, the ability to create in plastic an object that you design, many people believe is going to revolutionize micromanufacturing in our country and in terms of creativity and being able to see what you make in the computer become real, uh, very exciting. And, and so I'm going to, inspired by Amy, do a prosthetic hand unit actually this year. So uh, this year, one of the biggest differences in my classroom has been the maker studio. And my largest classes are 29 students. That's a lot of kids to have trying to do projects and making together. And so I have a second classroom. Amy has a really big classroom. I have two classrooms. And I decided um, that I wanted to uh, have a maker studio. Is anybody familiar with the maker movement or with maker fairs? Have you all heard of this before? Uh, make Magazine, you can go to makerfair.com. It started in San Francisco, I think, about 12 years ago. Tulsa had a mini maker fair last year. I went to Kansas City at the end of June to their maker fair. There were like 40,000 people that came over three or four days. I think there is one in Albuquerque. This is the DIY movement, the do-it-yourself movement, and there's all kinds of things that people make. And so this summer, I was uh, blessed to have a chance to go to Vermont with my family to a workshop called Create, Make, and Learn. So if you're writing grants for Summer PD, go to Vermont. It's like going to be again the third week of July, I think. And it was in a place called The Generator, which is... Um, a maker space. It's a fusion of art and technology. And so they had laser cutters, they had 3D printers, they had Arduinos, they had all this stuff. Learning about Minecraft. I was there teaching about uh, media and using media with video. And I learned about green screen. Actually, taught about that. I learned about it. Anyway, all of this stuff. This was my summer PD, and it is so exciting that there's a movement out there to try to encourage making. And there's a lot of ties to art, to technology, to entrepreneurship, and uh, it's very exciting. So we have a maker studio. What does that mean? Well, there are five stations in our maker studio, and students rotate into either the maker studio or they stay in what I call the learning lab, which is our, my classroom, where we did a catapult unit, and now we're doing a coding unit with hopscotch on our iPads. They choose one of their um, stations, and they can make a green screen movie. They can use the Spiro robotic ball, which was driving around here somewhere earlier. Um, I have four computers set up for Minecraft, and they can make music. We've just gotten some Lego donations, and so I'm going to, in the next iteration, have a Lego build, and we may do stop-motion movies with Lego. The biggest reason for this is our kids do not have enough unstructured playtime especially to build and make things. This, this is now feeling good. You know, it takes a while to get those routines set up and those expectations, and yeah, we're having kids sit out every once in a while, and the whole collaboration and work with your group. I mean, you know, I'm moving back and forth between the rooms, and it's, it's challenging, and it's also messy. But I think it's really good, and I think the choice that this affords is a big reason why my kids are very excited to come to class because they have opportunities to build and make stuff and to show what they're learning and what they're doing. So green screen, the best link here is this top one. I learned about it at Create, Make, and Learn. It's a whole green screen setup with three lights, with the background, everything for about $140, okay? So that is a great thing to put on a grant to get parents to buy for you. 
Um, what is a green screen? It is the chance to transport yourself to a new place. You can see the iPad uh, has a weather map and these two kids in front of the green screen are, are giving the weather. Um, so with having the green screen set up in the room, the best iPad app I found is by Doink or Do Inc. It's called Green Screen, and it's three dollars. And uh, you need, I would recommend, a tripod mount as well as a tripod. But, but that has been one of the one of the best uh, stations and the most popular. How many of you know someone addicted to Minecraft? Show of hands. All right, my fifth grade daughter. Yes, she is a Minecraft addict. Uh, that's a little rocket that some of my fourth graders uh, made er earlier this year in Minecraft. I have never seen the level of engagement, and I will call it flow, I think I can maybe even say his name for the first time in public, Shehek Mahai, maybe I'm saying it wrong. Uh, he's the guy that wrote about flow. It's a psychological state where you lose track of time, you are so into it, it happens with reading, some people say it happens with running, I haven't personally experienced it running, <laughs> but you know, when you're really into a book and you lose track of time, you are into it, you are in flow. Kids and adults go into flow with many video games. And I will say, if, if we ignore Minecraft and just say there's no, part of, there's no place for that in our school, I think it's professional malpractice. I think there is so much learning, so much problem solving, and potentially so much collaboration go, that can go on here that there's a lot of good opportunity. Now, we use Minecraft EDU. It, is, it doesn't run on iPads, it runs on the PC. It costs about half of what the regular Minecraft costs, so we spent $440 last year to buy 29 licenses. It lets me have even more superpowers than Minecraft normally gives you, like I have PvP turned off. The kids cannot attack each other. I turn off animals. Does that cause lots of grief? Oh, I gotta have animals. No, you don't. And you don't need TNT either to blow stuff up. Um, my kids this year have been building in creative mode, and last year we just did a simple perimeter and area challenge. We're talking to the math teachers, what are some geometry concepts that kids are struggling with? The difference between perimeter and area, fine. And that's when I did turn on animals. You can build a corral, but it has to have this perimeter, and your animals have to all be inside. I don't want them to take over the mountain, you know, take over the whole countryside. So um, Minecraft is something that we'll do some more of in our camp. And how many of you, is anybody else using Minecraft EDU currently? It is fantastic. And especially in an after school setting, but it's worked well in the maker studio. The Sphero Robotic Ball, uh, if you want to play with this afterwards, it's running around somewhere with my iPad. $140, um, you can program it. There's a, an app where it can be like a Mars rover, and so you program where it goes. You drive it with the iPad. There are about 12 apps that come with it. My kids have been making mazes, and the Makers Club, they're actually now doing a cardboard maze for the Sphero to be able to navigate. Last night, I was cheering out loud, and I woke my wife up about midnight, because my first donor's choose was funded for three new Spheros, and I can't believe it. Uh, U.S. Cellular just said, boom, here's 490, you know, 400 more bucks. How many of you have done donor's choose before? All right, great thing to do, do projects. Um, Amanda, is that right, Amanda Smith? Amber. Amber Smith from Norman said, you have a teacher that's done 43 projects at your school? That is amazing, 43, yeah. Okay, so do this, right? That, that's just one thing that, that you could ask for. Um, I think it's wonderful that companies are making those kind of contributions. 
We use, we're almost out of time, we use KidBlog for interactive writing. One of the most important things I want to teach my kids is how to write and interact digitally in a safe place, in a sandbox environment where I moderate and approve the posts and the comments. My wife has been doing this as well, and these are beautiful words. A student last week said, Mrs. Fryer, can we write about this? Can I blog about this? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I guess I'll let you write about that. It's wonderful to have a space to write, to show what we know. And we're not writing amazing novels, but we are posting um, pictures and screenshots, and we're in this process of of showing what we know. Um, Catapult Unit uh, came right from Amy, and we're running short on time, so I'm not going to talk a lot about it. But all the resources for this are on the website. Here was the best part, and this is, again, all Amy. The budget sheet. How wonderful. You have a thousand STEM dollars and you only have two trips to the store. How will you use your money? And so the kids had to come up with their design and they had to make their plan. They had to total this up and then they came to the store and I opened the store and this was really good. And the measurement piece was huge too. I actually don't have meter sticks right now. I have yard sticks. Do you know how many with the average number of kids who know how many inches are in a yard is in my classes? It's about two or three. At least the ones that will say it out loud. Maybe some weren't saying it out loud. But practicing measurement, practicing our math, our multiplication, it's all, it's all good stuff. I'm going to skip the water bottle rocket video. Uh, we're doing coding right now with Hopscotch. How many of you have access to iPads? So these apps are free. Daisy the Dinosaur, Codable, Hopscotch. Hopscotch is one that um, I wrote a free ebook that's on Amazon and in I, the iTunes iBookstore about basically collide games. You tilt the iPad because the accelerometer in the iPad will let you tilt to control your sprite, and you write scripts that are like Lego bricks that you snap together to make it do things. And then we also do art. We're like Spirograph. We're we're making repeating polygons and we're 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 drawing with math. Very cool. Hopscotch is free. I think we're about done. So um, please put on your calendar uh, March 28th. We're going to have a play date event in Oklahoma City. I say we. I haven't got Amy there yet, but it's on Saturday. Uh, Hopefully it will be at at, uh, John Ross. uh, Is that right? The new charter school? Sure. It will be in Oklahoma City. And Anyway, this is a chance to, to play, and this will be focused on coding, and it will be for both students and kids. And you can just put play date OKC to get more information. Uh, Last ad for K-12 Online, this is a free conference that starts next week, and there is a whole strand on STEAM, which is art inside STEM. The keynoters of that strand are from the Exploratorium in San Francisco, and all of these are recorded videos that you can see online. So that's the K-12 Online Conference. The last thing is EdCamp. That will happen again on February 28th. Uh, which is a great opportunity to learn. And I've always, every, every ed camp I've been to, there's been a STEM session where I've picked up something new. Um, so follow us on STEM Seeds. Your closing thought, Amy. What would you challenge these wonderful elementary teachers to go back to their rooms and do? Don't be afraid for it to be messy. It's going to be messy. But just try to find something that maybe you're interested in, and that's where I'm at. I don't want to teach stuff that I'm not interested in or things that your kids are interested in that you could 
build on with something hands-on. That a lesson, instead of having to do, and I know, I did worksheets too, but instead of only doing a worksheet for it, you know, have them discover how big a foot is by having them make something that's that big, or have them discover how, what structures are better for different things. There's, just, there's a lot of applications for STEM that it doesn't only have to be an after-school club, and it doesn't only have to be where we are, but we get to have them on a specials rotation. It can be in the classroom as well. So. All right. We'll put this up and we'll hang out for questions you may have. Um, please follow us on Twitter and uh, please join our STEM Seeds community where the learning will continue. So thank you all very much. Thank you.